The New York Knicks have a point guard for the first time in my lifetime. Yeah. That's what's up. Uh, I'm pretty excited about that. It's almost making me forget about the Yankees. Just kidding. Cashman and Boone will both be back. Hal Steinbrenner announced. So a little bit more Yankees stuff as we talk about how this offseason could look like. We did talk about the Knicks and their back-to-back. Three straight make that wins at home, albeit against lesser teams. The Jets went out and got themselves a new running back after Hall's injury. Good job, JD. And a whole bunch of other fun stories from the NFL as we preview Thursday Night Football and a lot more from everywhere in the world of sports. All that and more coming up next on the Rami Levy Podcast. Stay tuned. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I often talk on this podcast about breaking the stigma surrounding mental health. So if you're feeling stressed, depressed, or just want to talk, today's sponsor, BetterHelp, is here to help you. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed, experienced therapist online, and you have access to over 20,000 different therapists that you may not have access to in your area. All you have to do is fill out a questionnaire, and 48 hours later, you're set up with a therapist that fits your needs. You can then schedule video or phone calls and have access to unlimited messages back and forth with your experienced therapist. You can also change to a new therapist at any time with no extra charge. I often talk on this podcast about how perspective is anything, and that's something I learned in therapy. I had terrible anxiety, and I learned about how changing your perspective can change the reality. So take charge of your mental health and join the over 2 million people who already use BetterHelp for therapy online today. And if you use my code, you can get an extra 10% off on your first month. So go to betterhelp.com Rami for 10% off. That's B-E-T-T-E-R help h-e-l-p dot com slash rami for 10% off your first month do it today all right welcome to the rami la v podcast episode 106 it is presented as always by BetterHelp. use my name rami r-a-m-i for 10% off your first month of online therapy uh, like I said, episode 106, and I think this episode, there's a lot to talk about um, today is Thursday, October 27th, and we're going to talk about the Knicks because what I watched with this team on Wednesday night and on Tuesday night, or I guess it was Monday night, uh, is different than what I've seen in the past. And yes, we've seen stretches and we've seen teams start well, and Mike Breen was talking about it on the podcast, actually, or on the broadcast, I should say, he was talking about how Yes, we saw a team start off well. I think he said maybe uh, Washington was 10-2 and two last year and the Celtics started 2-5. and five. So we've seen teams that are not that great start off really great and then sometimes it just doesn't go that way. That's you know not reality. It's sometimes teams get off to a quick start. But with this Knicks team, it's different and it feels different for one reason and one main reason. That's Jalen Brunson. And the game tonight on Wednesday night as I'm recording this That's a game that they don't win without Jalen Brunson. They never win that game in the past. And obviously down the stretch, it seemed like, yeah, of course they don't win that game because he's the one who ties it to send it to overtime. And then he's making plays left and right in overtime. But even before that, the 13 assists he had in this game were not just plays that he made at random times. Like, okay, he made a play here and there. This was a guy who every time the Knicks started to falter, and there were a lot of points in this game where the Knicks were playing against an undermanned team that they should beat, right? A team without three of their best players um, in Charlotte. And the Knicks should have won this game pretty easily at home. And yet they were struggling. The Knicks had points where they just got into these ruts, and every time they needed a big play, he understands the moment and how to weave in and out of a game and the flow of a game in the NBA And when you need him most, he's able to make the plays to help your team win. He's a winning player. And so whether that's, we really desperately need a bucket on this possession, I'm just going to back a guy down and use my skill in the post, even as a little guy, 6'2", his skill in the post is incredible, to get a bucket, to get a key bucket at one point in the game. Or if he's, you know, like, okay, I need to get the ball to this guy because I need to get him hot, I need to get him going, getting a guy a good look in transition, stuff like that, when to push, when to slow down, when he needs to try and make a big impact on the defensive end and get a steal, go for the fast break. His understanding of the game reminds me, and this is, this is a push, and, and people are going to freak out, but it reminds me of Chris Paul in a sense, and not the young Chris Paul and all the talent that he had necessarily, but more like Chris Paul in this later stage of his career when CP3... He weaves in and out of a game and understands when to get guys involved, understanding when it's time for him to shoot the threes. Like Jalen Brunson shooting that step back game tying three at that point in the game, like 
he's not always going to shoot threes. He understands every point of the game, how to manipulate the game. And he manipulates the defense. He manipulates what's going on as far as his team on the offense. And it's just, it's an incredible thing. And maybe it's just, finally, we have a point guard. And maybe I'm overcomplicating it. Maybe it's really simple. And I'm making it sound crazier than it is. But having a point guard is pretty great. And if it's just that, it's awesome. And the Knicks, finally, it feels like finally, this team, for the first time, this century has a point guard. And that brings us to tonight's game. My point is, as he weaves in and out of this game, it's not just that he, obviously, they wouldn't have won the game because he they he forced overtime. He's the one who orchestrated them in overtime and had a couple big buckets. They wouldn't have been in this game. It wouldn't have been a close game. They would have gotten blown out because every time it started to fall apart was when he brought it back together for the Knicks. And that is the biggest difference between him and everyone else. And like I said, the Knicks have a point guard. My God, it is one of the happier uh, things that I've said about the Knicks in recent memory. And what it's done also, and I don't think it's just Jalen Brunson, you have to give credit where credit is due, but I think what it's done is it's changed the way Julius Randle is playing this year. And like I said, you got to give credit to Randle and how he was able to change his mindset and come in with a French mindset because you see what he's posting on Instagram with I miss the garden and how his attitude is. There was a point in one of the games where he's standing on the free throw line and he's calling to Tibbs. He, you know, the, the Knicks were on defense and he's calling to Tibbs what he wants to do on the next offensive possession. He saw something, he noticed something and he's saying Tibbs, Tibbs and he's trying to get his attention. He is so engaged right now, but he's smiling and there's positive energy and he looks like the Julius Randle from a couple years ago. Now I know at the beginning of last year he did look like that also, but he is doing something. He's not trying to overshoot it. He's not over dribbling. He doesn't feel like the pressure is on him and he still gets announced last and he's still their leading scorer right now. But it feels like a lot of the pressure has been alleviated from him because of Jalen Brunson. And like I said, you give a ton of credit to Julius too, but you got to give credit to Brunson for a lot of that because it feels like a lot of the pressure that was on Julius Randle was alleviated because of what Jalen Brunson has been able to bring to this team. And Julius, it's funny because it's been a roller coaster with this guy. You know, from the, the the crowd just obsessed with him two years ago and the ovation he got on opening night last year when I was in the building against the Celtics to how he was hated. I mean, I was there later in the year. I think it was the game maybe against the Clippers. And I was there and the, the, the way the fans reacted, the vitriol of the fans towards Julius Randle. And this is sport New York sports fans across the board. We'll talk about this a little bit later when we talk about the Yankees. But the way he was hated last year, the way he was booed, to come back and now the redemption and the energy and the way he's playing and the Instagram posts and the way he's interacting with his son again, he looks like he's happier and healthier and in a better place. And that's ultimately what you want. You don't want Julius to be bad. You don't want it to have to be that now we have to trade this guy. You want to find what you had two years ago and maybe just bring out the best in him because we know that when he's at his best, he is so capable and we're seeing it now, and I'm excited to see it. It's it's fun. It's exciting uh, as a Knicks fan. As a whole, look, I'm not going to lie to you. The Magic are a pretty bad team, and that's who they beat. Charlotte, like I said, they were missing three of their best players. They're not a particularly good team right now either, but that's who the Knicks beat. You can only play uh, who you, who's on your schedule, and they're going to have a tougher schedule coming up where they have to go to Milwaukee, they have to go to Brooklyn, a bunch of games that are a little bit tougher But right now, they're playing what's on their schedule, and they're playing it well. And like I said, I think we've seen certain things that are different than past. Against the Magic, a few times, there was a play, someone posted this on Twitter, where there was a play where the Magic went to a trap defense. They went to a zone defense, and the Knicks were adjusting and moving the ball well. And Clyde goes, it's almost like they practiced this. Like, they are doing something we haven't seen them do in the past. Like, this is fun. This is fun as a Knicks fan to see this and be like, oh, my God. And and part of that is definitely Brunson. But part of that is the team buying in. Part of that is Tibbs adjusting and maybe coaching a little bit different than what he's used to in the past. And we always talked about this. But he's giving minutes to Cam Reddish. He's giving minutes and, and a little bit more leeway to Emmanuel quickly and Obi Toppin. He's starting to trust people a little bit more. And we'll see what happens uh, with with the younger guys when they come back, obviously, uh, with Grimes, who's hurt now, he's expected to be a big part of this team. But that was the one thing against the Magic was their adjustments in-game and the team adjusting without even Tibbs having to do anything. And like I said, the Knicks, when they started to fall in a rut, being taken out of it by a guy who is a true point guard in Brunson was what stood out to me. And if they can do that, then it doesn't matter who they're playing. Even if they're playing teams that are better than them, 
they can win a lot of games by just having a well-balanced team that has the ability to adjust and has the ability to pull themselves out of bad ruts and not get into situations where they have 20-0 runs scored against them. And if you're not giving up a lot of those runs, then you're going to end up being in a lot of games. And this is a team that's going to be in a lot of games, and they were in a lot of games last year, but they couldn't pull them out late because of how Randall was and because they didn't have the guy to pull them out of things. And ultimately, RJ hasn't looked great yet. I still think things are looking up for him. Even quickly has not looked great shooting the ball yet. Things are probably looking up for him. And I think the effect that we're seeing Jalen Brunson have on Julius is going to be infectious and it's going to take effect on the entire team. That's uh, really fun to watch for the Knicks. As far as the Jets, um, I mean, Joe Douglas, and we talked about this at the time of the draft when he drafted Garrett Wilson over the the other wide receiver that he could have taken, obviously, that was hurt. And and that was a big topic of conversation where it was, well, you know, he went for the win guy now because, like I said, when I talked about it with Jason Lockenfora, there might be a little bit of pressure on Joe Douglas to win sooner rather than later. Obviously, he's not Woody's guy. um, And Woody Johnson could very well just move off him and say, hey, this is not my guy. This is not the guy I brought in now. I think that would be the wrong decision. I think Joe has done an excellent job. But I think being 5-2 and two and seeing what this defense has a, is capable of being as uh, Sauce Gardner wins the defensive player of the week in the NFL, not the defensive rookie of the week, but he wins the defensive player of the week in the NFL, um, I think Joe Douglas has gotten to the point where he sees that this team might actually have a capability of being special. He sees that this uh, league right now, this year, it's a down year for the league. There are not a lot of special teams and you know, a couple of them, the really great teams, that there are three great teams in the AFC, I think, in Cincinnati, in Kansas City, and in the Bills. But at the same time, you know, that they're going to see the Bills twice, divisional game, anything can happen. They already saw Cincinnati once this year, and they saw them once last year. So I think, you know, maybe him seeing that and saying, hey, let's go for this. Let's try and make the playoffs. And we saw it in the draft, and you're seeing it again now. Um, like I said, they go, they don't waste any time. They lose one of their top running backs, obviously, who's been one of the best running backs and one of the best rookies in the league in Brees Hall. And they obviously go out and get James Robinson. Now, James Robinson, he's not Brees Hall. He's really good, but he's not Brees Hall. And it's going to be more of a tandem running back with him. There's Ty Johnson's going to get mixed in, mixed in there, but it's going to be mostly Michael Carter and James Robinson together. Um, I hope Brees Hall remains around the team because I've talked about his attitude, how he just points to the Jets logo. I think that is a very like good attitude to have and even though it won't be in the huddle I guess it'll be on the sideline um, because I think that's also infectious and something that the team can gain from of course um, and I think for you know for the Jets overall it's just a proof of it shows the team it shows the players on the team it's Joe Douglas saying I believe in you guys I trust in you guys I I think this is real and no matter what everyone else is saying around the league oh you played backups you even played the backup in Denver which I said I don't think that was necessarily crazy and we'll talk about Russell Wilson in a little bit because he's not playing much better but they went in Green Bay and won like the Giants are getting a ton of credit for beating Green Bay but they did that in London you went into Lambeau Field and beat Aaron Rodgers and now it's like oh well maybe the Packers aren't that good they just lost also to, to Washington yeah I agree you know but you can't discredit every single thing they've done. At some point, you have to say, they're winning these games and they're finding ways to win. And Dan Orlovsky saying, oh, the Jets actually are much worse than the record and they're going to get destroyed by the Patriots. You know what? That's a hot take where if you got, if he's right, then he could come out on Monday and be so happy he's right. But I don't think this Jets team is that bad. I, I think they're actually pretty good. They have a defense that's really good. They had a, a running back that was really good. Now, if they don't have that running back anymore... Yeah, but now they have a tandem of running backs that can be really good. And Robinson is on team control. He's a restricted free agent at the end of the year. You gave up a six pick. It was worth the chance. You gave him nothing for him, right? If he rushes for over 600 yards, it turns into a fifth pick, worst case scenario. But you could pick up his option for nothing. He's costing you a half a million dollars this year, and he's going to cost you nothing next year. And then you'll have three young running backs. What's the problem? He's a young kid. You know, so what's the problem with having three great running backs? Uh, it's it's It was a great trade by Joe Douglas. And at this point, it's gotten to the point where some Jets fans are hating. Some Jets fans are talking about Zach Wilson. I had a friend text me and say, wow, the Jets look like a really good team. They're a quarterback away. They they might be a quarterback away from being a really great team and being a Super Bowl contender. And yeah, if you put Joe Burrow on this team tomorrow, they probably are a Super Bowl contender. They could probably go out and maybe even win the Super Bowl. If you put Josh Allen on this team tomorrow or Patrick Mahomes, I understand that Zach Wilson is not that yet, but I'm also not willing to write him off and to say, well, this kid stinks and, you know, get rid of him. Maybe just give him time to develop because 
if he develops properly, he could be good. I think he can be a good quarterback in this league. I just think we don't know yet. And that's the main thing. That's the main point. And somebody mentioned it. I forget who it was, was talking about it, saying it was Chris Sims who said, so many Jets fans are so angry about Zach Wilson and how he's not playing well, quote unquote. Zach Wilson has done what he's needed to do in order for the Jets to win. I compared it to the early Mark Sanchez days and what he was able to do to get the Jets to two AFC championship games. Yes. Do I want him to continue to develop beyond that and to turn into a great franchise quarterback? Yes. Do I think he's that today? No, but I think he can be that. And he's shown the talent. I think he's going to have to be leaned on more without Brees Hall. And that's why I think it's important they went out and got James Robinson to help him because I don't think he's ready to be leaned on entirely. That doesn't mean he's a bad quarterback. It just means that right now he's young and he's learning. But to write him off and say this team is a quarterback away from competing. Yes. Maybe if that quarterback is Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, like I said, they're a quarterback away from competing. But I think Zach Wilson can turn into, if not one of those guys, at least a guy who can be a really good, really capable quarterback in this league. In other quarterback news, Matt Ryan was officially benched. And this is Frank Reich trying to save his job at this point. Uh, and I talked about this um, a few times on this podcast already, where it's just really bad when it comes to the Frank Reich situation and the Colts in general. And now they're kind of looking at this kid, Sam Ellinger, and saying, well, he's been really good, and he won in preseason, and not that that necessarily means anything, but he's been really talented and really capable, and at some point, you have to look at what Matt Ryan's done and make a decision. Yeah, you traded for him. Yeah, this was the guy you brought in you thought was going to be your guy, but your team is pretty talented. They've kept you in a lot of games, and he's hurt you. He looks scared. He looks old, and like and he looks slow, and I think they've done what a lot of teams would have been scared to do. And they made a change. And I think that's Frank Wright coaching for his job, which is fine. I think sometimes, you know, when you're backed into a situation that you wouldn't have necessarily done out of pressure, uh, maybe it's ultimately a good thing. And Frank Reich ultimately going to uh, to Sam Ellinger is not the worst thing. Uh, another team that can't do that, though, and I mentioned them earlier, is the Broncos. I think they would love to do what Indianapolis did. I think right now, Nathaniel Hackett's like, I need to save my job. And I think going to another quarterback might save my job. The story that came out of Russ on the flight, of him doing high steps on the flight and probably keeping the rest of his teammates up and driving them insane, that it's just more of the same Russell Wilson BS that Kyle Brandt talked about. It's more of the same Russell Wilson BS that everyone's been talking about. It's the stuff that's like, oh, just because he's a weird guy doesn't make him a bad quarterback. But he's been a bad quarterback. And if you're a bad teammate, you're a bad quarterback. There's no two ways about that. And it seems like he's a bad teammate right now. So going to someone else, and I know whatever their backup's name is who started against the Jets, he didn't look all that great either. Although, let's give credit to the Jets' defense. Like I said, one of the best defenses in the league. But the point is that with this situation don't you think they wish that they could go to another quarterback and just say hey we got to go to another quarterback because this is clearly not working out I'm sure they wish they can do that and they can't so I think the Colts should probably be happy that they were in a position that they were able to do it and for the Broncos they're probably kind of annoyed that they can't do it but they're in the situation that they're in they wish they could I'm sure just go to maybe shut him down say he's injured shut him down for the rest of the season and Maybe that'll help. I, I don't know what to say anymore. Like I said, trade him for Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> Still like that idea, kind of. Um, I did want to talk about the Jets, just back to them and their game on Sunday. Uh, watching the Patriots, and this is kind of a recap of Monday Night Football, which we didn't do yet on the podcast. I should have recorded. I was supposed to record uh, Tuesday night, but then I didn't realize what was happening. Uh, but my doctor procedure that I had on Tuesday, which I haven't really talked about on the podcast a lot, but I, I'm okay, I think. Uh, just running some tests uh, to make sure I'm okay, uh, but a little bit of a health scare, and so. But it looks like I'm I'm coming around. But we had I had a procedure that I thought was like a half hour at the doctor's office, like nothing serious. I ended up being there for like four hours, not because it was more serious, just because I didn't realize what was actually going on there. Um, and so it was like a four-hour procedure, and then there was like a little bit of recovery afterwards, and I was very tired. And so I didn't record, and then I had a lot of work to catch up on, obviously, from Fox, because uh, I didn't realize I'd be out for like the rest of the day when I left to my appointment at about noon. Um, whoops, uh, my bad on that one. So there's a little health update for me, and a lot of people have been sending me stuff. It, I put it out on social media only once. I was kind of sure that it was that I was fine, you know? Um, and that's when I started posting about it on social media. So, uh, but the people who have reached out, I, I appreciate you guys. Um, I do. It's nice to know I'm loved and supported. Always good to know. But uh, I I didn't do my Monday fo- night football 
recap and reaction uh, because I was at the doctor. Um, and, I, well, I guess I hadn't recorded since Monday night, and even though I was going to record on Tuesday. So here's what I noticed. And somebody told me that, well, Bailey Zappi actually played a lot worse than Mac Jones. They're starting Mac Jones against the Jets. And to me, there's a distinction between Bailey Zappi and Mac Jones. The distinction is that Mac Jones has seen more NFL defenses, has proven that he can be successful. Only this year he's playing really poorly. Um, but we've seen that he can be successful. He has shown some success in the past within a system against NFL defenses. Bailey Zappi this year against a couple bad teams has gone off. I think he's fearless out there. I think he is willing to sling it around and, and go all out. But um, I, I wouldn't say that Mac Jones is much better than him, but they're creating a quarterback controversy for themselves where they're switching them in and out. There was like a little bit of a platoon situation. It was a really weird game and it was a very unbelichickian game because the confusion with the quarterback uh, is one thing. And that was something that's just not Belichickian to run your ship in a way that there's confusion and miscommunication. That's not the way he runs things. And the other thing that just was not Belichick like was the Pats were beaten in the trenches. David Montgomery for the Bears and Justin Fields for the Bears were doing whatever they wanted, running around on offense and gaining yards however they wanted to on Monday night. And on the other side of it, they could not run the ball at all. So the Patriots were getting beaten in the trenches. They were Both their quarterbacks were under pressure all day. And so if you look at that, Belichick has always built his teams the right way, which Joe Douglas does this also from the inside out. Offensive linemen and defensive linemen control the game in the middle of the field, up the middle, start it with the offensive line, the defensive line, and control the trenches. And that means controlling the clock, moving the football. And the ball was ran down their throat all day, and the Patriots couldn't get any pressure defensively. And offensively, they couldn't move the ball at all, even though... Ramondre Stevenson ran the ball really well. Uh, they couldn't get anything going as far as alleviating the pass rush of the Chicago Bears. And that really hurt both Zappi and Mac Jones in this game. And so when you look at that, um, Mac Jones is going to be starting on Sunday. And the Jets have won games in the trenches. That's been their biggest strength. Getting pressure with four. Stopping the run. And then at the same time, complementing that with running the ball and controlling the game. Now, no Brees Hall, that's going to hurt, like I said. But a guy who's a power runner is James Robinson. James Robinson is a power runner. Different than Brees Hall, he's more of a power runner, one-cut guy. James uh, Brees Hall has looked like uh, freaking Le'Veon Bell in his prime out there where he's surveying slowly, slowly, and then bursts through the hole. And, and he's just, he's a different level of a talent. But Michael Carter and... James Robinson, like I said, it's still enough to control the play. And I think Elijah Vera Tucker is a huge loss for the Jets. Huge loss for the Jets that they're not going to have the guy who's been so versatile and a guy who's been so talented on the offensive line for them. But that said, I think that controlling the trenches, if if Chicago was able to do it the way they were able to do it against the Patriots, I think the Jets should have similar success doing something similar. Now, Bill Belichick with a quarterback who's been beaten down and everyone says is no good with a team that looked terrible after a terrible loss after being humiliated we talked about this the jets all year that they've they're facing teams at a weird time where they want to prove a point and after being humiliated on a monday night i think bill belichick is going to come out and he's going to be angry and with all the people talking about the jets he hates the jets and people talking about how great the jets are he's going to want to prove a point and he's going to want to not just beat the jets he's going to want to crush them that scares me. But like I said, this team, despite still having Bill Belichick, it's been a very un-Belichickian season. And maybe the Jets can take advantage of that. Or maybe it's just wishful thinking. I'm not sure. I'm hoping that the Jets can take advantage uh, and they can actually win this game. But it'll be a fun game either way on Sunday at MetLife. All right. I don't want to do this again because it angered me so much last time. But I do have to talk a little bit more about the Yankees so I could just wrap a bow on it. Don't think I'm ignoring it. Um, but I want to talk about the Yankees a little bit, and um, then we'll have a couple other things, then we'll get out of here. So I guess a shorter episode tonight, although sometimes when I say that, it's like, oh, it's 20 minutes in, it's going to be a shorter episode. And then I'm like, wow, this episode was an hour and a half long? How the hell did that happen? Um, but uh, we'll see how long it takes to talk about the Yankees. I, I Everyone's talking about the Isaiah kiner falefa play, and I mentioned it on the previous episode. But another play that people are not talking about as much was the play where... 
um, Loizaga was late covering the bag. It wasn't even late, just the throw. Everything was off. And like I said, it just shows that the team, it's more like almost excuses, but the excuses that they make are about things that were bad fundamentals and that's why they happened in the first place. So like the problems that this team has had was is like due to bad and poor fundamentals and not playing well and then you make excuses for it. And then we get the news today um, that they're bringing back Boone, they're bringing back Cashman and it's just like there are two perceptions about this team and I think there's a different perception from like the mainstream media even though that's changing already with Jeff Passan and Michael Kay and guys like that coming out and speaking out against this current Yankee regime. But if you look at the ESPN post, right, the Twitter post after um, after they were eliminated, it was like 99 wins, made it to the ALCS, uh, judge historic season, blah, blah, blah. They wrote like this whole long post about what an accomplished season for the Yankees. And I think Hal Steinbrenner is living in a perception and living in a world that he thinks that is the perception of the team. And that drives me insane to think that that is the actual perception, because then there's the Twitter perception where it's the diehard, the Yankee podcasters, the talking Yankees, the short porch, all those guys, me, I'll throw myself in there. Talk about like Dan Rourke and people like that and Yankee Avenue and what he does. There are those people who like have seen enough and see the difference between the Derek Jeter team and this team now, and it's totally different, and realize that this is not the same Yankees. And it's not to say, I'm not trying to be one of those people who, well, George wouldn't stand for this. I hate those people, and that's not what I'm saying. It's not a George Steinbrenner thing necessarily. It's a Yankee thing. It's a this team is just different, and I think resting on your laurels and, like I said, making it about the money and saying. Well, we won 99 games. We got a lot of butts and seeds. We had the Aaron Judge historic chase. So that's why I think they'll bring Judge back. But I think like what we're hearing now that the Yankees and, and, and they're upset. The players are upset that the Yankee fans booed Aaron Judge in the playoffs. But you were one for 18 in the playoffs against the, in your last 18 at-bats against the Astros. Like, what do you want us to do? And no one cares that you hit the ball hard. We don't care. Like, I was listening to part of my take and they're like, well, shouldn't the Yankees have won game one? Because Judge hit the ball harder than Bregman or whatever game it was. He's like, and shouldn't they have also won uh, game four because Stan hit the ball harder than whoever hit the home run than, than whatever the kid, uh, the shortstop, Pena? Like, people are laughing at them. The Yankees have become a laughing stock. They've become where, like, I think they don't understand that. I think Hal doesn't understand this. Like, we respect Aaron Boone. He's won a lot of games with us. Like, all these things. It's just not true. And the lying and the the just... Not being honest with how you're perceived and just kind of thinking, I don't know what you think is my point. Like when you see all that, I, I don't understand how you can see it a different way, how you can think that what you're seeing and what you're saying is people are actually buying it. And I think two things. One, Derek Jeter in 2004, someone posted this today about Derek Jeter said after 2004, a game he got booed, he was batting 196 it was the beginning of the season. He said, and this, again, this is a team that was coming off the World Series, losing in the World Series, coming off the World Series, and still not so far removed from winning four World Series in five years. And he said, if I was there, I would have booed myself too because of how poorly we played. We're playing really poorly right now. And now the Yankees are crying that they're getting booed. Like Aaron Judge, he might not want to come back. Anthony Rizzo might not want to come back because they're booing them. The Yankees players took that poorly. I understand athletes have changed, but my God, you, you took that poorly. Like, you played really poorly. And this team, like, and the other thing was Mariano Rivera. And there was this event, and Brian Hoke was there for uh, the Yankee media. And I'm not sure what event it was, but Joe Torre was there. Jeter was there. Rivera was there. Uh, it's nice to see Jeter at these events now. He used to never show up at these types of events. Um, CC Sabathia was there. And they were asking them all about the Yankee season. They're asking them about Boone. They're asking them about Judge, all that situation. And they asked Rivera about Boone. And he said, at some point, someone's got to get the blame. Like, you know, at some point, and this is what I keep saying, they went further in Girardi's last season in 17 than Boone has ever gone. And yes, they're winning in the regular season, but sometimes this team is just really talented. This team under Aaron Boone has still not gone as far as they did the season before he took over this team. And this team has improved with the talent. They added Cole. They added Giancarlo Stanton. And they still haven't gotten to the point that they got that they were at when Boone took over the team. So what does that tell you about Aaron Boone? And the last three seasons, like I talked about, 2021 20, and 22, they were actually bad teams. 
other than the two months in June and May of 2022. So this team is not the, the, the mask of making the playoffs and winning a whole bunch of games in the regular season. It's not fooling anyone, but for some reason, they seem to think it is. Like the, the Yankees and Hal Steinbrenner seem to think it is. And so I put together, if I was running this team, I would have fired Aaron Boone. I'd probably keep Brian Cashman because despite everything, and I think most of what Boone does comes from him, I would have to tell him, okay, look, you're still the general manager because I think some of the trades, like finding Wandy Peralta, you got to give him credit for that. Obviously, he had a terrible trade with Josh Donaldson and, and, and Isaiah Kyron for and giving the, freeing up the space, freeing up the, the money for them, the Twins, to go out and get Carlos Correa while you took on those big contracts and you hand, you handcuffed yourself. But I would tell I would tell Cashman, look, eat that mistake, but move on from it. There's no reason to be so stubborn and to stick with it and start Josh Donaldson next season just because you made a mistake. Admit that you made a mistake. Like Admit when you were wrong. I think that would be the first thing. But I would also say Boone's not the guy. That was another mistake you made. We saw how he handles bullpens. This team is not prepared. This team is not motivated. This team is not doesn't play the fundamentals correctly. Let's just move on. We made a mistake with that one. We like Boone. We like Aaron. He's a good dude. Unfortunately, he's just not the right guy for this job at this time. Um, so that that's uh, you know what I was going to say about. And the other thing, what I would do is I would make significant changes in the offseason. And they talked about doing them last year. And the significant changes were Josh Donaldson and Isaiah kind of for level. Not good enough, clearly. Um, this year, I would actually make significant changes. And they're not even talking about it. It's like, yeah, we went to the American League Championship Series. Do you realize the chasm that was between the Yankees and the Astros? Like, do the Yankees really not see that? Like, I, I don't, I'm trying to figure out if they're dumb or if they think we're dumb. That's, that's honestly what I'm trying to figure out with the Yankees. Like, do they think the fans are dumb and they can lie to them? Or are they honestly dumb? And they are not seeing what's actually happening with this team. Truly insane. But I put out two offseason plans. One with Judge, if they do resign Judge, and one if they don't get Judge. And what I expect to happen. So with Judge, um, so I guess technically three plans. So with Judge, let's say they get Judge. I think the main way you can actually compete, even if Boone is the manager still, which they said he is. So Boone's the manager, but... You re-sign Judge. So how can we compete and how can we overcome some of the mistakes that Aaron Boone makes? Well, I know, a plethora of talent. Now, it hasn't worked for the LA Dodgers. They load up on talent all the time and they still fall short. But okay, maybe we bring in an extra coach here and there to kind of coach around um, Aaron Boone and help him like we saw what Rob Thompson was able to do for the Phillies, right? Um, So what do we have to do uh, to get this team to a better place? Like I said, is just load up on talent. That's one option where it's like, well... At least he can load up on town. So I think re-signing Rizzo, first thing you have to do. He's great for the chemistry. He's a guy who cares. He showed up in the playoffs, one of the only guys who did. So re-sign Rizzo. Another thing, you know what we talked about with the Phillies all the time, right? That one-two punch that no matter how bad they looked as a team sometimes, they had that one-two punch in the playoffs of uh, Nola and Wheeler. So why can't the Yankees do the same thing? Get another crazy pitcher. Whether that's going for Rodon, I think they could get... Rodon, or if it's going for DeGrom, or going for Verlander on a shorter term. Make a real splash in the pitching market. I know you just did that with Cole, but the pitching was a real question mark behind Cole. Nestor Cortez was solid, then he gets hurt. That whole situation, Severino is always a question mark. Get You're probably losing Tyone this offseason. I don't see them re-signing him. Get a real starting pitcher. That's not Frankie Montas. Like I said, they went for like the quasi-starting pitcher, right? Uh, as opposed to going for Luis Castillo, which would have really helped them, in my personal opinion. Go for a real, like, big game starting pitcher, Rodon, DeGrom, Verlander, one of those guys, and a guy who has, like, some balls to him, for lack of a better term, who's, like, angry and can go out there and really, when it, when they need him most, can really shove. The new trade, Glaber Torres. It's time to make DJ LeMay your full-time second baseman. He's not been healthy. He's not been good. This contract has not worked out. But Glaber was not good again in the playoffs. He had a good enough season uh, and actually a really solid season. I like labor. But if you look at the baby bombers era, it was a failure. It was an epic failure, right? So, and we'll get to that a little bit later. But trade Glaber Torres, I think you can get value for him. So whether that's young arms, whether that's uh, bullpen pieces, get some sort of young pitching in exchange for Glaber Torres and make DJ LeMay your full-time shortstop. You got to dump Josh Donaldson. Again, enough is enough, like I said. Just because you made a mistake, no need to compound on the mistake. Move on from the mistake. 
admit you made the mistake, move on, dump him, trade him, whatever you have to do to get rid of him. It's not working with him. Call up Oswaldo Peraza and Oswald Cabrera or Oswald Peraza and Oswaldo Cabrera full-time. Those guys need full-time positions. So if Cabrera's your utility man, whether that means he's playing a little bit of third, a little bit of the outfield, and a little bit of short, and then Peraza is your starting shortstop at the beginning of next year, and then we'll worry about Volpe when he comes up. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. That means IKF is relegated to the bench. I think he's a solid bench player. He's a good backup infielder. He's not your starting infielder, but he's a solid backup infielder. Can come into a game steal base, pinch hit, draw a walk, get it, you know, put the ball in play if you need a guy to put a ball in play. Let's say you have a runner on third, less than two outs. Solid guy to do that for you. In left field, I think they still need to sign a guy. Clearly, they were missing in the lineup a guy who's just a left-handed bat who can make, make contact and a really good left fielder. Like Cabrera, like I said, he's an ultra utility guy, but he's not really a great left fielder. Either you re-sign Benintendi, who I know he was hurt. We didn't get to see what he'd be like as a Yankee, but I do like him. You re-sign Benintendi, or you go get Brandon Nimmo from the Nets. He probably won't even be that expensive. The Mets don't re-sign him. All right, so that's what the offseason will look like. And then basically, essentially what your team is, is you have Judge in right, you have Bader in center, you have either Benintendi or Nimmo in left. You have Peraza at shortstop. You have Cabrera either at third base or second base. LeMayo at the other spot. You still have Trevino. You have Rizzo. And you have a really solid, like a really great one-two punch in the rotation with Cole and the next guy. And you short up by trading labor. You probably short up a couple of bullpen pieces and maybe the back end of the rotation. All right. That's that. Again, that would be a dream dream. I don't think that's actually like so crazy, but I think that would be a dream off season where it's like, wow, this team really changed. This team looked at the season and saw it as a failure and decided to do something about it. Now, without Judge, if Judge decides to leave, which I think, I don't know where I'm at right now with that. I don't know if he is or isn't, but if he decides to leave and he decides to go to San Francisco, who says they're not going to be denied, if he decides to go to LA, Boston, the Mets, and if the Yankees really are stubborn, then at that point, it doesn't matter who the general manager and the manager are. It's like, okay, this 2017 Baby Bomber team was a total epic failure. Wipe the slate clean. Like, it did not work out. We failed. And admit that. And if Judge walks, then there's no reason to hold on to that. And it's a terrible, terrible thing. It sucks. But you failed. Bird is gone. He was a nothing. He did nothing for you. Gary Sanchez, gone. He did nothing. And Duhar, gone. Glaber Torres proves that he can't play in the playoffs. Clint Frazier, awful. All these things. And if Aaron Judge leaves, it's the cherry on top. It didn't work. The last guy left would be Luis Severino, who's often hurt. It didn't work. You made mistakes along the way. You didn't bring in Harper. You went for Stanton. You, you didn't go for Machado because you had NDR. Whatever you did, you ultimately ended up with guys like Aaron Hicks. You know, the point is you messed up. Josh Donaldson, all these different things that you did, you messed up a lot along the way. You took a foundation that was young, good core, and you screwed it up. And it's partly on the players, right? Glaber not performing in the biggest spots, him not developing properly. Um, the same thing goes for Clint Frazier. Miguel Andujar never got an opportunity. Davey Garcia and these guys, there were so many young guys who just didn't get opportunities. But what you don't have to do is you don't have to let that happen again. There is another stream of young guys that you held on to because you weren't willing to trade them this season where you held on to them instead of getting Luis Castillo and going for different guys. You held on to that young, those young players. Make something out of them. Peraza, Cabrera, Volpe. That's your next core. Go with that. So that means you could still re-sign Rizzo. You want to have players who are older guys who are veterans that can lead you. I think you trade Cole. There's no point in keeping Garrett Cole on if you lose Aaron Judge. You have all that money. Free yourself from it. He performed extremely well in the playoffs. See what you could get back. You'll probably get pennies on the dollar, but you have to see what you could get back for Garrett Cole because it doesn't matter. Trade him for young pitching. Trade him for young talent. Trade him to a team who's ready to compete now. Trade Gleyber Torres, the same thing. He's part of that core from the baby bombers from the 17 team enough you're done with that call up Peraza Volpe Cabrera wherever you're putting them it doesn't matter trade Josh Donaldson also try and recoup like I said there's no point he's just he's a detriment to the team and then DJ LeMahieu will probably stay again I don't think that's a tradable contract but guys like Clark Schmidt who are supposed to be starting pitchers and we've never seen them in a starting role yet Davey Garcia all these young guys start putting together a young rotation and maybe the Yankees will win only 65 75 games this year as crazy as that sounds I know they're obsessed with their extensive winning record, but you messed up, develop this next core properly, and don't make the mistake that you made. And here's what I expect to happen. So I think, whether they re-sign Judge or not, I think nothing's going to happen. They'll get a mid-to-back-end-of-the-rotation starter, 
They're going to get Anthony Rizzo probably, maybe Andrew Benatendi, one or the other. That's what I expect from this offseason. I expect it to be a total dud where they just, Josh Donaldson's still at third, who maybe Peraz is at shortstop, maybe, and then either LeMahieu is at first base if Rizzo's gone or Benintendi's in left and is back, or I guess Benintendi's gone and Rizzo's back. I just expect them to be like, run it back. What do you mean? We were really good. We were just a couple of hits away. Just like, the same exact thing we saw. And that is what drives me insane. And what is worse is that you see it with teams that are fun, that are good. They're really fun teams. And here I am. Wow. We already got, like I said, 20 minutes in. I was like, oh, this episode is going to be short. And I talked about the Yankees and got angry for 20 minutes. Fun. Um, but you see teams that are fun. You see teams that that are likable. And those are teams that go far. And the Phillies, when they turned it around with Rob Thompson, they turned into a fun, likable team. This Yankee team is not that. They're not fun. And the Phillies, just like you see that, you see so. Staying, saying I'm going to run it back if you're the Yankees, I don't understand how that works when you see a team like the Phillies dancing to Caleb freaking Scott. Like, what? What is that? Like, this team just has things. Bryce Harper, like, in the dugout saying, I can't believe I just did that, and his reaction to everything, to that home run. I think the World Series is going to be awesome. You have a team with a chip on their shoulder that feels like they have a point to prove, even though they've been probably the best team in baseball over the last decade in the Houston Astros. You have a team on the other side of it that's just a fun team that won 10 less games or 20 less games. They won 20 less games in the regular season than the Astros. And they're like, don't count us out because we're a fun team and we're going to battle like heck to, to make this a series. So it's going to be a really fun World Series. And the Yankees have to look at those two teams and say, we're not that. We're not even in the same class as those teams. And I don't think the Yankees see that right now. All right. Um, by the way, I was watching. I'm going to wrap it up in a second. But I was watching football the other night and I was like, um, I miss when we had like Tuesday night games. I miss when COVID threw everything off and we just had a game. I was like, Tuesday night, we have a football game on. It was awesome. I would love to have football every night of the week. And I know from now and through Thanksgiving, I think it is, there will be a football game every day, either college or NFL. But I don't watch college football. I should get into college football, but with Saturdays, um, I most of the games are on Saturdays, and so that's why I, I just never got into it. Um, I also didn't go to any of these schools, so I don't have like a school that I root for. Um, I don't know. Shoot me DMs. Tell me which school I should root for, and then maybe I'll get into college football. But um, yeah, I miss those like random middle of the weeks. It was fun. But I have been watching a lot of basketball, um, and the team on League Pass that is the most fun team to watch this year, and you don't know where I'm going with this, I promise you you don't, has been the Los Angeles Lakers. Yes, the Los Angeles Lakers are like a train wreck. They are so much fun to watch. Lakers are have become my must-watch TV on League Pass. Like, every time they're on, I'm like, I gotta watch them because you never know what's gonna happen next. You never know who LeBron's gonna be giving evil eyes to on his team. You never know what train wreck is going to be happening next. You never know when how Anthony Davis is gonna hurt himself. It's been really, really fun to watch. Uh, this uh, team is just weird. And this Laker team, I think it's not going to get better for them. I think it's going to get worse. And I love watching it. It's actually, it's not like it's hard to, it's fun to watch. It's genuinely not for the reasons you think, but it's fun to watch that basketball team and what, uh, what they've become. All right. Thursday night football uh, is tonight. I'm working the game, Ravens and Bucks. And I saw a few different lines, but. The line I saw most recently was Baltimore minus one and a half, which is about what I guessed. They're respecting the Ravens, even though they're on the road, because we've seen just some awful play from the Bucs. And I think the Ravens are going to win. One, they have more talent on their team. Two, I think Brady can get right in this game against the Ravens secondary, and the Ravens can still win. But it's just been so sloppy. And... This is going to be a really sloppy game. I think it's been so sloppy for the Bucs. I think the Ravens have been sloppy. And a 45-year-old quarterback on three days rest, I don't think that's going to bode well for Tom Brady. I could be wrong. Every time you doubt him, that's when he proves you wrong. But people have been doubting him for a few weeks now. And I don't know, something like we talked about it from the beginning of the year, the way he is with his teammates, the divorce and all that stuff, something feels different where finally it actually feels like we may never get Tom Brady back where... We're always waiting and expecting him to turn around, and he might not do it. And this could be a freezing cold take in a month, but I don't know. And the Ravens, the other thing about them, they play sloppy games well, and they've been winning these sloppy games. So 
Like I said, I think it's going to be a sloppy Thursday night football game with a 45-year-old quarterback on three days rest. I think it's going to be a sloppy quarterback f- football game with a team like the Ravens who's played sloppy games. I think Tom Brady can end up throwing a lot of touchdowns against a bad Ravens secondary. I think all those things are true, but I think ultimately, uh, I don't know, maybe 27 to 23 Baltimore. I think they win and cover the one and a half that I saw um, as, as them favored by one and a half. But would I be shocked if Brady all of a sudden threw up four touchdowns and he's like, you doubted me, ha, ha, ha? No, but I, this might actually be different. The Ravens are good at winning bad football games. That's why I, I talked about this. They need to figure out a more sustainable way to win and a way that they can win in the playoffs. Um, but they're good at winning bad football games. It's what they do. It's what they've done the last few seasons. And I think it's going to be like not necessarily just a sloppy, weird football game. And like I said, it might end up having a lot more points um, than your average Thursday night game. But like I said, short rest for both of these teams. I think it's going to be just a mess of a game. And I think the Ravens will find a way to pull it out like they have been in these weird games. One more thing I want to talk about. And I'm not really sure how to say it because I don't do this a lot on the podcast. But um, I am a proud Jew. Uh, You know, I try my best to, you know, be... Orthodox, I guess, and try and follow some of the things. And I struggle with belief and all that. And I think everyone does. Um, and, I, and I try and work on that and work on, you know, the combination of trying to believe in a higher power. And maybe there's someone that we answer to and all those things. Um, but I had just a really proud as a, as a Jew, particularly working in sports, which is just wild thinking about it. I actually, I'm a Jew who works in sports. Um, I was I was extremely proud, and I, I don't get into these things, but with the whole Kanye West situation, um, I'm not someone to necessarily talk about it. I, I'm not want someone who gets super offended by these things. I think it's funny. I, you know, I kind of make jokes about it. But um, when I saw what Jalen Brown of the Boston Celtics and Aaron Donald put out on their social media when they announced that they were going to uh, leave Kanye's sports agency. It was just a proud moment. The way they said it, I, we've seen this a thousand times with the African-American community. We've seen it with LGBTQ. We've seen it with, it feels like, every community um, and people standing up for them. And I don't remember a time, specifically in the sports world, where we've seen people stand up for the Jews like that. And as, like I said, like as a Jew in sports, it was just an, a, a moment that made me extremely proud to be a Jew. And so from the bottom of my heart, two superstar athletes writing what they wrote and saying what they said and, and, and the actions that speak louder than the words in Aaron Donald and, uh, and Jalen Brown, they may never, may never hear this, but I, I need to thank them from the bottom of my heart. They, they don't know how much I, I personally um, appreciate that. And I felt that as a Jew with this platform on this podcast, I always talked about how part of the reason I want to have the, the plat- podcast is to have a platform and why I, you know, I do this for a career um, is to have a platform. I wouldn't be doing, you know, myself a right by not mentioning it and not bringing it up on the platform that I have created for myself. So uh, just one thing I wanted to close the episode with. And with that, I will close it. Please share it, like, subscribe, send it to people you know that helps me uh, grow as always. Rate, review, and all those good things. Check us out, Twitter, Instagram, our YouTube page is up and running and going well. And shout out Dave Levenger, who's been awesome with that, helping me um, produce those videos. Um, and until next time, shout out to every one of you guys who listens because that's what uh, makes this work. And until next time, see ya. You were the best nights of my life. You got the light that always shines. I miss the way that you move and the way I get high When you take me to your eyes Like I'm standing in the sky I see your subway cars and road graffiti I breathe your air when I land in another city I'll be that one that's got you printed on my bones Yeah, you're all I know
drop down riverside See the birds flying on the high line With the sidewalks burning, we pray for rain in July I want the Yankees 99 yeah. And the Knicks on a soaked out night When the curtains close and the Broadway streets are alive hey. I need your heartbeat close, don't you ever leave me And I breathe your air when I land in another city I'm still here. 